Welcome back to the Spirits Guide Podcast. My name is Rich. I'm your guide through the intoxicating world of spirits. And on this episode, I'm talking about what we do, you know, when we need to either dial it back or or take a break. Basically, you know, we're passionate about spirits. You know, you guys out there, I know you're passionate about, you know, the things we're drinking and we love to share them. But, you know, for some of us, me, you know, especially full kind of disclosure, sometimes the passion controls you more than you control the passion. And you kind of, you know, you hit that spot where you're like, man, I've been I've been hitting it a little hard lately. I need to to dial it back. Or, you know, I, I talk about it in the episode of, you know, maybe you had, you had a health issue and you're, you know, you're on some medication for a week or so that you can't drink. Or, you know, you're just not in the mood to to get all goofy, but, you know, you still want to remain in the game. And I, I bring this up in the episode of, you know, if you feel like you have to look like you're drinking to be around your friends, maybe you need new friends. That being said, you know, if you just want to take a break, if you want to lay back, you want to dial it down a little bit, uh, you know, and you want to be holding a, a beer while you're hanging out with your friends, that's a little different than feeling like you have to just to be with your friends. You know, and this is an episode that I've wanted to do since I started the podcast because the the non-alcoholic part of the spirit world is becoming as important as the alcoholic version of it. And there really, for the longest time, has been this sort of stigma and you know, there's always the joke of like, AA is for quitters. No, AA is for people who know that they need help and can't do it on their own. And as much as I love my spirits and, you know, I taste things all the time, drinking things constantly, I have nothing but respect for people who go and and kind of have that realization of like, I can't do it anymore. It's not good for me. Uh, I turn into an asshole when I'm drunk. I do bad things and they get into the program and they commit to it. Uh, I have nothing but the utmost respect for anybody who can walk that line, especially in a world we're in now where it's, you know, advertised everywhere and more and more people drink and it's, it's harder to kind of do that. And sometimes you've got to give up your friends and your surroundings if you want to live a, a clean, straight edge life. So I have nothing but respect for those people. And really, if you've got to dial it back or you've got to quit altogether, you're not a quitter. It doesn't make you less of a, a person. And, you know, if you need help, reach out for it, you know, and if anybody out there does need help, if you're feeling like, Hey, maybe this is getting out of control, uh, feel free to, to message me on Facebook or Instagram or email me the spirits guide 89 at gmail.com. Uh, and I'll do what I can to kind of link you up with some people that may be able to, to get you help. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a therapist. I'm not in the program, but if you need help, I can maybe direct you to somebody who can help you with that. Um, yeah, that being said, you know, hope you guys enjoy the episode. You know, it was kind of an easy one to make because I drank six beers and none of them had alcohol in it. And so I didn't get off the rails. Now, full disclosure, I may have had a, a drink or two beforehand. Um, just because this was the week that my Elijah Craig single barrel barrel proof came in at Wachusa Wine and Spirits. I get to taste it a couple of times this week. It is just absolutely amazing. Um, 
you know, we'll do a tasting of it on a podcast coming up in the future. Uh, yeah, like I said, hope you guys enjoy the episode. If you like what I'm doing here, if you like this journey that we're going on, and by the way, next week going to be a ton of fun. Uh, you know, I promised it to a few people. I've got so many great samples that next week's episode is just going to be basically sample size extended. Uh, and I'm going to taste so many great things that you guys have, you know, been kind enough to share with me um, over the last, I don't know, few months, few years, whatever it is. Um, so while this week we're, we're, we're drinking the non-alcohol stuff, next week we're we're back on the horse and, and we'll be riding hard. So if you like what I'm doing here, if you're enjoying the journey, go to the podcast page on Spotify, follow the podcast. You'll get notified when new episodes drop. Give me a five-star rating. It helps other people, you know, when they're looking for podcasts like this and they do searches, it helps to kind of populate those searches. And that way there we can grow this community uh, together and, and get more people uh, kind of doing what we're doing. Uh, like I said, follow on Instagram or Facebook as The Spirits Guide. You can message me there. You can rate and review the podcast there. You can leave comments. And lastly, you can email me, thespiritsguide89 at gmail.com. That's it. Uh, enjoy the episode, guys, and we'll uh, we'll chat with you soon. Cheers. All right, so here we are. Jesus, wow, starting out with a bang there. Um, yeah, welcome back, Spirit Sky Podcast. Here we are. Uh, first of all, I want to, you know, like I've already mentioned in the intro, but thank you guys again for indulging my sort of nonsense and ridiculousness over the last two weeks in my ranting over the state of the bourbon landscape. Um, yeah, it's kind of a, a thing that it, it just keeps kind of getting weirder. And weirder out there in the bourbon universe. Uh, but that's not what we're here to talk about today. We're we're going to switch gears a little bit today. Uh, and what I want to talk about today is, you know, something that can be enjoyable and it touches upon a very sort of serious area of, of the spirits world. And that is what happens when we need to, you know, dial it down, take it back a notch. You know, sometimes, you know, we're all passionate about our spirits. You know, anybody who knows me certainly knows that I am, you know, extremely passionate about not only bourbon, but all kinds of whiskey, but not only whiskey, but gins and rums and tequilas and brandies, any kind of weird, quirky spirit. And sometimes, you know, your passion, sometimes you don't control your passion, your passion controls you. And you just kind of go like, you know what? I've been hitting it a little hard lately. Maybe I need to take a little bit of time off. Uh, but you don't entirely want to come out of the game, you know. Sometimes you still want to feel like, like you're you're having a drink, you know. I I mentioned this on an earlier sample size that if you feel like you have a drink, have to have a drink to fit in with your friends, maybe you need new friends. And I still stand by that. But by the same token, like I get, you know, if you're out, you know, we're heading summertime and, you know, maybe for whatever reason you want to dial it down. Hey, maybe you've you had a, you know, 
uh, an infection or something and you're on penicillin and you can't have alcohol or you, you know, something you had a medical procedure and you can't drink alcohol, you've got to dial it down, but you still want to hang out and kind of be part of the party. I get that too. Um, as long as you're not doing it because you feel like you have to do it just to fit in. So what we're talking about today is non-alcoholic offerings. And, and sort of my my thoughts on the state of this. And working in retail, I get a, a unique perspective because I get hit all the time with, you know, non-alcoholic. It's the fastest growing category. Well, yeah, when five years ago you have a category that didn't exist or, you know, we're selling 10 bottles of non-alcoholic wine and the next year you sold 100 bottles of wine. Yeah, you're up, you know, huge percentage points, but you're still only selling 100 bottles of wine. So, you know, while I'm waiting for this whole non-alcoholic spiritless segment to take on the massive growth uh, that all the market, you know, market watch and all these sort of industry magazines are telling me that are out there, I just don't see it yet. If you're curious as to my thought of non-alcoholic spirits, first of all, I think it's the most foolish idea. I get it if you run a bar. Bars, definitely, it's kind of a cool thing to have non-alcoholic spirits. You can do mocktails because you also have not only the non-alcoholic spirit, but you have access to different sodas and juices and syrups and other things that you can kind of play with. But for the average consumer to go out and pay 35 bucks for a 750 milliliter bottle of what essentially amounts to be flavored water. I don't see it. I don't see the point. I don't recommend it to my customers because I just don't get the expenditure there. You know, I, I've seen, well, this is a non-alcoholic gin, you know, and it makes a great gin and tonic. Well, it tastes like flavored water because without the alcohol in your spirit, it lacks the body of a regular gin. And at that point, it just tastes like infused water. So, you know, to be perfectly honest with you, and I'm a retailer, I'm here to sell things to you. I want your money. Um, but the reality of it is you, you take some, you know, good distilled water and, you know, whatever flavor profiles you like, throw some peppercorns in there, maybe some rosemary sprigs, a couple of lemons, you know, maybe some basil leaves, uh, you know, some cucumber, you know, a little bit of anise. You've basically got some flavored gin water. I, I don't know. But my issue is without that body, when you add that sort of flavored water component to tonic water, you're just drinking water down tonic water. And unless you're buying really good tonic water, you know, the tonic is, is going to overpower whatever it is you're doing. And in fact, if you just buy fever tree tonic water, you've pretty much got a good kind of mocktail on its own. Anyways, uh, that's my thoughts on non-alcoholic gin. Uh, Quite honestly, the, one of the biggest jokes I ever heard was a customer who came in looking for non-alcoholic vodka, and I didn't even believe that such a thing existed. I, I looked her straight in the face and I said, water? She said, no, non-alcoholic vodka. And I said, water? <laughs> because vodka, by definition, is supposed to be an odorless, flavorless thing. Water, 
Uh, and as it turns out, there's a sucker born every day because there actually is a non-alcoholic vodka out there. Again, guys, don't don't buy it. It's just not worth it. It just doesn't make any sense. And I, I hate to see good people spend a lot of money on a product that is kind of snake oil. I've tasted non-alcoholic quote-unquote rums. They taste like water. I've tasted quote-unquote non-alcoholic tequilas, which obviously can't be called tequila unless it comes from Mexico. So they're non-alcoholic agave spirits that are supposed to resemble tequila. And I I don't want to trash the brand. I get they're trying really hard. But, you know, the the one guy who tried to tell me, like, oh, this is going after Sousen. I was like, no, it's it's just water. Um, the closest thing is maybe some of the non-alcoholic sort of Campari alternatives. Those weren't too bad, but... Again, not a lot of people out there just drinking Campari and soda for the heck of it. You know, these things might be okay. Um, There's some non-alcoholic kind of pre-made cocktails. But again, you're paying a lot of money for things I feel like you could just do at home, you know, with some some herbs or or whatever. The bottom line is I don't think non-alcoholic spirits are are kind of worth your money because they really do lack the body and the mouth feel uh, that you're looking for. So you're not getting the flavor, you're not getting the body and you're spending a ton of money. So for me, non-alcoholic spirits kind of off the board, non-alcoholic wine. Another one that I don't entirely get. I've had them. They don't taste great. Uh, the one thing I can say about maybe non-alcoholic spirits, if you can find a brand uh, that might be good and you want to cut down your alcohol intake, you know, you, you know, you like Bacardi and Cokes, but you don't want to have as much alcohol. Maybe you buy the non-alcoholic rum to kind of cut it, but it's such a funky flavor that it's, it's really going to change the whole complexion of everything. But that's where I see a lot of non-alcoholic wine sales in that, you know, I, I've seen this a lot in, in, so this is part of what we carry. And it's amazing that I've seen this a lot of maybe somebody who's older, who can't have the alcohol and you're buying, you know, your, your father, or your grandfather, some red wine, you're cutting it with some non-alcoholic wine as a way to kind of wean them off the alcohol. I've actually seen that quite a bit. I don't see a lot of people who are just, you know, 21 years old buying non-alcoholic wine to take it home and crush it because they like the flavor of non-alcoholic wine. And that, by the way, is kind of the marketing point that a lot of these companies are using of like younger people aren't, you know, they're living healthier lifestyles. Maybe in the club or in a restaurant, but I don't, I don't see a 21 year old kid who is straight edged and bless them if they are. I love that. Um, but I don't see them going, you know, like uh, I want to get into the the drinking scene, but I don't want to drink. So I'm just going to buy non-alcoholic wine. I would honestly recommend just be sort of stronger of character and say, like, I'm not getting into alcohol, which I totally respect as a spirits person myself. I totally respect that. And just be able to tell your friends like, hey, I don't drink. I don't need to pretend like I'm drinking. So that's kind of the youth angle to me of just 
tell people you're not drinking. Like, I don't understand the point of fake drinking, um, which is really what they're trying to promote. Um, so yeah, non-alcoholic wines, I don't see non-alcoholic spirits. I definitely don't see, but the one area of non-alcoholic consumption that is on the rise that I absolutely see, I absolutely endorse, and I'm really happy to see take off is non-alcoholic beers. What's the difference you say? Well, like I explained, non-alcoholic spirits lack the body or the flavor. Um, and by the way, go back and listen to my review that I did with Corey of the Spiritless 74 non-alcoholic quote-unquote bourbon. It was absolutely one of the most disgusting things I ever tasted. And if you go back and you're going to listen to it for the first time, it's not scripted. It's not dramatic. That is honestly the, the you know, the spontaneity and, and just the reaction we had to the product when we tasted it. It really was, it, it really was just that awful. So non-alcoholic spirits don't really resemble regular spirits. Uh, non-alcoholic wines don't really resemble regular wines. And not only that, but, you know, if you're a wine drinker and some of this may go beyond you, because if you're not a wine drinker, you don't understand these brands, but you know, there are brands like Camus and, and Duckhorn and even a, a J lore or a Josh or an apothic even where these big bodied wines, non-alcoholic wines tend to be put out by value brands. You know, Camus, which is a top selling Napa Valley Cabernet doesn't put out a non-alcoholic version of their ultra high-end Napa Valley, you know, there are no high-end non-alcoholic Paso Robles wines. I don't think, and I'm, you know, I don't want to be a hundred percent positive about it, but I've never seen like a non-alcoholic Willamette Valley Pinot Noir. They may be out there. I don't see them commercially available and I don't see, you know, Again, kind of the whole selling point of the non-alcoholic spirits is, hey, it's sober January and people who normally drink rum and Cokes will drink this. I don't think they will. They might be curious. They might try it. And, you know, I always say in the retail end of it, for every awful product that hits the market, there's at least one customer out there who thinks it's the greatest thing they've ever tried. Bless them for that. But it's not really a mass appeal thing. Um so, you know, people who are drinking rum or bourbon, I don't see them switching off of this. People who are drinking wine, very rarely do they go like, you know what? I'm not going to drink wine anymore. I'm going to switch to non-alcoholic wine. There's also a, a couple other things at play here. People who lay off full-bodied alcohol wines don't want to just drink sugar because we're in this kind of health craze right now where people don't want these sugary things. And a lot of times, you know, sugar is what ferments and gets distilled into alcohol. So without the alcohol, you're getting more sugar in a lot of the final products of these things as well. But with beer, to me with beer, one, if you decide like, you know what, I've been drinking a lot of whiskey lately, I'm going to lay back. A lot of times people will just downgrade to drinking beer for a while you know, you're still getting a little bit of alcohol, but, you know, a six, seven, even an eight percent, 
Imperial IPA at 10% is still less than drinking 100 proof bourbon. So a lot of times people will transition out of drinking hard spirits into beer as a way to lay back. And people who drink beer but can't have alcohol anymore can make that easy transition into non-alcoholic beer because on a body-wise and a flavor profile, they're at least similar. Obviously, you're not getting the same exact flavor profiles because you're missing the alcohol and some of the other things that go into it. But body-wise, you're getting a similar product. It more closely resembles the alcohol version than a non-alcoholic wine trying to resemble an alcoholic wine or a non-alcoholic spirit resembling a non-alcoholic spirit. There's no sort of correlation between wine and spirits, but with beer, there is. So what I've done tonight is I've got six non-alcoholic beers in front of me and I'm going to taste them and give my thoughts and maybe give you guys some recommendations that, you know what, if you want to dial them down, this might be a way for you. Now, non-alcoholic beer is not a new thing. The first non-alcoholic beers were actually kind of created to coincide with prohibition because, you know, alcohol was illegal. It was illegal to produce and it was illegal to sell. So near beer was kind of created for that. Fast forward uh, from what we commercially know nowadays of non-alcoholic beer, Caliber, which was made by Guinness, uh, launched in 1986 as sort of the first non-alcoholic lager on the market, and it's still around today. Uh, four years later, O'Doul's was launched by Anheuser-Busch, and since then, a lot of the big boys you know, have made it big boys and sort of the mass produced. So, you know, Miller Lite had one. Coors has their non-alcoholic. Uh, Klost Holler has been around for a while. Beck's had a non-alcoholic. Um, St. Pauli Girl has been around for a while. But, you know, when I started bartending, O'Doul's was really kind of the only option you had. Caliber, if you were going to get exotic with non-alcoholic beers, um, and maybe St. Pauli Girl. Nowadays, in the last five years, there has been an explosion of non-alcoholic beer brands, not only as one-offs from the label, um, but breweries that are starting up and just making uh, non-alcoholic beers. You know, things like, uh, well, first of all, for the big boys, Heineken Zero came out a few years ago. Spot on. Tastes just like Heineken. Drinks just like Heineken. No alcohol. Bud Zero. Again, tastes just like Budweiser. Spot on. Drinks like Budweiser. No alcohol. Uh, I already mentioned Klaus Holler and O'Doul's and St. Pauli Girl. Uh, within the last couple of years, Sam Adams has put out a non-alcoholic beer. Dogfish Head has put out a non-alcoholic beer. Uh, recently, Guinness, which we'll talk about later on in the podcast, has just come out with a non-alcoholic beer. Um, there's a brewery called Syria, which was started by the guy who started Blue Moon. Uh, so it's kind of a Blue Moon tie in there. 
Uh, Greater Good, which is located right here in Worcester. Uh, their second line sole purpose, which is their already lower alcohol line. We're going to talk about this in a minute. Just came out with a non-alcoholic beer. Brewdog, which has been around since 2004, uh, but huge you know, kind of brewery in the craft beer world uh, before local New England IPAs took over. Brewdog was kind of a, a monster in the craft beer world. Uh, they've got non-alcoholic beers, uh, as well as new breweries like Athletic, uh, which are just kind of taking the country by storm for the quality of their beers. And the first one that I'm going to try here, and this is called Sobeer. <laughs> it's cute. Sobeer, Sober. Um, I forget the name of the like the parent company that owns this. I haven't tasted this yet. Uh, but it is made with, they try to say that it's a, a beer that's actually good for you. Here's some facts that I have on it. Um, supposedly healthy, made with water, barley, wheat, oats, hops, baker's yeast, and something called beta-glucan. Now, these are the stats that are kind of important to me uh, because it's why a lot of people drink seltzers lately. Is they're looking at carbs, calories, and sugar content. So beer, seven grams of sugar, uh, 40 grams of calorie, 40 calories per can. And by the way, it's vegan. In the brewing process, which we'll talk about as we go along, it's actually brewed specifically to be non-alcoholic. I mean, that's how the sausage is made, but let's see if it's any good. I'll tell you what, it's actually not bad. I would kind of drink that. It's a little citrusy. Like it almost tastes like it has a hint of lemon. Good body, good carbonation. The hops are very, very kind of laid back. I mean, it almost kind of tastes like a really good Bud Light that you might have dropped a lemon in. That's That's not bad at all. The only thing I don't like about this is it comes in a slim can. So it's got like that Mick Ultra feel to it. And for me, like if you're going through the whole sort of charade of, you know, I'm not drinking alcohol, but I kind of want to hang out and drink beer. I kind of want the can to feel like beer. I like that stubby 12 ounce fat can. I know everybody is going to the slim cans because it's slimming it you know it makes you think like you're drinking something healthy i give all the credit in the world to mick ultra when they did that you know because it can be a 12 ounce can it can be taller than the stubby can but because it's slim it creates the illusion that it's slimming on you and that it's better for you um other than that and the fact that the packaging if you see it kind of looks like one of those one-off Red Bull cans. That's honestly what I thought about it when I first saw the sample. Like, oh, this is kind of an energy drink. It's not, but uh, I don't carry this at my store yet, but it's pretty good. If you see it out there in the wild, I would recommend that. Uh, the second one, this is from, like I just mentioned, Soul Purpose. Now, Greater Good is, you know, they pride themselves on they're an imperial brewery. Uh, all their beers are at least 8% alcohol. They're big boys going all the way up to like Greylock, which is, you know, their New England IPA at 12%. I don't know who the hell thought it was a good idea to put that beer in 16 ounce cans, but 
They make fantastic beers, you know, Pulp Daddy, Vibes, Groove, Smooth. My favorite beer by them is a Cherry Alt beer. And, you know, unfortunately, in today's beer landscape, most people go, what the hell is an alt beer? It's delicious. It's a German style of beer. I just had some at the brewery a short while back. It's fantastic. And then they created Sole Purpose because they realized that people can't just drink 8, 10, 12% beers all the time. Uh, so sole purpose is the lower alcohol. It makes sense that their non-alcoholic version would go under that label. I really can't find a lot of info on it as far as calories, carbs, sugar, how it's made, um, which is fine. Again, we don't always need to know how the sausage is made, although I would like to know a cab, uh, a calorie and carb count. But let's try the beer. Tastes like a West Coast. I mean, full body. It tastes like beer. It almost tastes like like a Sierra Nevada, like a little bitter, a little citrus. Yeah, no, that is fantastic. Yeah, I would highly recommend that. And honestly, if you were drinking that, you wouldn't be able to tell you weren't drinking alcoholic beer. All right. And then the third one that I'm going to crack for this segment uh, so we've done So Beer, we've done Nana, N-A-N-A, very cute, from Soul Purpose, made by Greater Good. And then this one I've actually already had. This is from BrewDog, which is a Scottish brewery. This is Elvis AF. I'm assuming Elvis as fuck. Uh, I just picked this up at Total Wine. This is a grapefruit IPA. Now, what I do like about this one right off the bat is the info is on the can about the calorie count, the carb count, which I believe is uh, 40 calories per can, uh, 2.3 grams of carbs. So actually less than a seltzer. This is their grapefruit IPA. It smells like grapefruit on the nose. It tastes like beer. And if anybody remembers like Ballast Point Grapefruit Sculpin, again, more of a West Coast style. But yeah, little bitter, little hoppy. The way IPAs are supposed to taste, they're not supposed to taste like Orange Julius. You know, they're, they're not supposed to be juicy and sweet. They're supposed to be bitter. This is what you know, beer was and what IPA was all about and in hopping beers. And then a nice little fruitiness from the grapefruit. Again, if you swap this out with any beer, nobody would ever think that you weren't drinking full flavored beer. And I absolutely love this beer. Uh, again, we picked this up over the weekend. Uh, my girlfriend who doesn't drink at all, is always kind of looking for, you know, again, something where she can hang out with me and my friends and, you know, kind of hold the beer and be part of the conversation. And this is the one that, you know, we both agreed was like something we're both going to sit down and drink at the end of the night. And what's nice is I can sit with her, have a couple of these. She can have a couple. And I don't feel bad that I'm drinking, you know, and tacking on a buzz when she's not. You know, Sometimes that's an uncomfortable situation when you're 
you're kind of tacking one on with somebody who's not tacking one on and you're going to say something stupid and they're sober enough to get that what you said was stupid. Um, so yeah, that's the first three of my beers. <sighs> that's really good. All right. I'm going to take a break. When I come back, I'm going to talk a little bit about, you know, how the different processes are that you go about creating a non-alcoholic beer. And then I'm going to taste through three more, um, the Syria, the athletic brewing, and then I'm going to finish with the Guinness non-alcoholic, which is the newest one to the market. I'm very excited to try that. I'm very curious to see how they pull it off flavor wise. Um, yeah. So we'll talk about that when I come back, uh, take a quick break. Chat soon. All right, so here we are. We're back. And I promised you guys that I would talk a little bit about, you know, how do we get to non-alcoholic beers? Why are they better now? Because I know some of you guys who are in, in ladies who are around my age, you know, and I talked about, you know, when I was bartending that O'Doul's and Caliber were kind of all we had. And maybe people tried non-alcoholic beers back then and thought like, wow, this is really, really bad. And I'm, I'm no different. I remember when O'Doul's came out and it just, it wasn't good and Caliber wasn't good. And there may have been some other offerings out there that weren't good. I do remember liking like O'Doul's Amber and thinking like that wasn't that bad, but it never really caught on. And part of the reason that they tasted so bad is the only re the only way that they knew how to kind of get the alcohol out of out of the beer was basically to boil it. So, you know, alcohol and water have a different boiling point and they would make beer, but they would they would boil it to a point where like the alcohol would evaporate off and then you'd be left with no alcohol in the beer, but you were also cooking all the other ingredients and it just never really tasted. It just, they weren't palatable and I get that, which is what is so great about this kind of renaissance of near beer, alcohol, free beer, non-alcoholic beer. Um, is that they're finding different ways to go about making it without the alcohol. And I use those ter terms because, you know, near beer, which was a thing that they kind of refer to it as during prohibition is, you know, because it wasn't beer, it didn't have alcohol, but it was near it. It kind of tasted like it. And there are non-alcoholic beers completely, you know, that have 0% alcohol in them. And then, you know, kind of what we call non-alcoholic beers that actually have 0.5 of a percent of alcohol in them. And what amazed me about that aspect when I started to dig in, and you guys know, like, I love when I go into something and even this thinking like, wow, this is going to be easy. You know, I know what I'm talking about. This is my, you know, like, I'm not going to have to do a ton of research little bit of info and then I get into a rabbit hole and realize that there's so much more. So I always love 
you know, when something I think is going to be easy has so much more to offer. And I actually found a graph. And if you guys look it up, there was there was an article that I, I you know, during my research, I came across and they were talking about like, you know, alcohol content in other sort of products. And, you know, there was uh, like a rye bread that had like 0.18% alcohol and certain fruits have a certain amount of alcohol and all these other products that were kind of mind-boggling that you would never think of as an alcoholic product actually have more alcohol by volume in them than what we consider to be non-alcoholic beer at 0.5%. So that was kind of interesting to see, but 0.5% is... I guess kind of the the barometer, the threshold for being able to call something non-alcoholic beer. But there are a couple of different ways that we get to the non-alcoholic beer sort of designation. One is by not fermenting at all when you're making it. And there's a couple of different breweries who are doing that way. But basically, you're not pitching yeast into the brew because yeast is what eats the sugar and then the sugar converts to alcohol through fermentation. But if you're not pitching yeast, you're not fermenting, you're actually not creating alcohol at all. So some of these non-alcoholic brews um, were designed to be alcohol-free from the very beginning. Uh, some of them will actually interrupt the fermentation process, so they'll pitch yeast uh, to where it starts to convert the sugars to alcohol, and then they one way or another, either by freezing out the yeast or, or removing it or, you know, filtering it out, just kind of interrupt that fermentation process. Uh, another way, like I mentioned, is by boiling the beer to remove the alcohol uh, through like that vapor removal process. And then the other way they do it is by de-alking or, you know, de-kind of alcoholizing the, the brew. And there's a, you know, there is a couple different ways you can do that. You can, you know, you run them through these machines, much like Greater Good does with theirs. And it's, uh, you know, they do this a lot with wine where they kind of centrifuge. And I'm not a scientist, so please don't ask me to, you know, don't reach out to me by email and say, like, you didn't do a good enough job explaining this. I'm not a scientist. I just know that there's some sort of circular cone that they put the liquid in. And by spinning it, you can separate the molecules out from the base liquid. And it removes the alcohol sort of from the base. And then in the end, you just end up with a non-alcoholic beverage. So those are some of the different ways that it can be done. And I guess the point of explaining this is... Again, if you're like me, like I've already explained where, you know, if your body is sensitive to carbs or calorie or sugar, you want to know how your non-alcoholic beer got to be non-alcoholic. You know, like I mentioned before, a lot of people are drinking seltzers because they're lower carbs, they're lower calories, they're lower sugar. And there are a lot of people who you know, want to cut the alcohol out of their diet and they're looking towards non-alcoholic beer, but you don't know, you know, basically what I'm saying is don't just sort of willy-nilly pick your non-alcoholic beer. If you're sensitive to sugar or you're sensitive to carbs or you're sensitive to calories, 
really look into whatever non-alcoholic offering you're look you know you want to try because some of them will add sugar to replace the flavor lost by alcohol um you know some of these are kind of malt beverages instead of non-alcoholic beers so there's a higher carb and calorie count and if you know how to use google you can probably find out the information you need but just don't go into it you know i love the category i love you know and like i've said to me non-alcoholic beers are sort of the best representation of the non-alcoholic category but i want to make sure that you guys out there are getting the right product because you know that's what i'm all about is putting the right product in the right hands of the right people if your body is okay with ingesting a little bit more sugar you know i've mentioned that my girl my girlfriend doesn't drink so She's also not diabetic, so she can have things that have a little bit more carbs or a little bit more calorie. And while that may, may not be healthy, like her body can kind of deal with that. Whereas me being diabetic, having high carbs or high sugar is not great for my body. So again, if you're going down the non-alcoholic beer rabbit hole, just kind of do a little research. Um, you know, I'm trying to provide as much info as I can with the the brews that I'm talking about, but there's more offerings out there. Just make sure you're getting the right brew for what your body can handle or what your diet is looking for, or just kind of what you're looking for in, you know, in the health benefits kind of side of it. Um, like I said, sometimes they're dealking, sometimes they're boiling, sometimes they're not fermenting. But also on the other end to replace flavor, sometimes they're adding sugar. Sometimes you can get things in a lower carb, higher carb, whatever. Um, just make sure you're getting the right product for you. All right, so we're in the back half uh, of the tasting, and I've got three more beers to try. And the first one I'm going to crack. Is there anything sweeter than that sound of just cracking a can of beer this is syria uh syria is a, a great one because it was created by the guy who created blue moon who also has a phd in brewing which <laughs> i didn't know that that was actually a thing uh but apparently it is so he created syria to be a non-alcoholic, full-bodied version, you know, of of alcohol-based beer. So, Syria. Here's what I have for for info on there. And what I'm drinking is the Syria Grain Wave. They make a couple of different uh, styles of beer, but this one here is 14 grams of carbs, 77 calories per can, 0.5% uh, alcohol. Here's what we have for ingredients. Uh, water, pale malt, oats, hops, orange peel, and coriander. So if you like Blue Moon, if you like that sort of Belgian white style ale, I'm assuming this is going to be in your wheelhouse. It's a little high on the carb count for me, but, you know, relatively speaking to some of the other non-alcoholics out there, it's kind of right in line. Great uh, packaging on it. Let's see how it tastes. Oh, wow. 
That's really, really good. If you like that Blue Moon style, if you like that Shock Top style, I don't want to go so far and so crazy as, as to say, like, maybe it tastes like St. Bernardus or some of those other Belgian white or wheat style ales. Let's not go go nuts here. But this tastes like a beer. On the palate, it feels like a beer. In that orange peel, that coriander. Yeah, this is fantastic. Yeah, no problems with that at all. I like it. And again, you know, 14 grams of carbs is a little bit high. I think truly is probably five grams. So you're getting three times the carbs as a seltzer. But if you're a beer drinker and you're not diabetic and those things aren't that important to you, this is perfect. Uh, I don't carry this at my store, but you can find this in other stores. Wow, that's... If somebody replaced your Blue Moon with that, you would never know that your Blue Moon had been replaced. That's, it's that simple. Um, before I go on to the next beer, I want to present some stats because, you know, everybody loves stats and numbers, you know, because they validate everything. But I, I thought this was kind of pretty telling for my opening sort of diatribe of non-alcoholic beer versus non-alcoholic wine versus non-alcoholic spirits. And I lifted these numbers from the Schenken report, which is kind of an industry report uh, email that I look at every single day. It reports on craft beer and spirits, uh, wine, all different things having to do with, you know, my world of, you know, liquor, whether it's on premise or off off premise. And it was from an article in this newsletter talking about non-alcoholic offerings during dry January. And I'm reading this to kind of reiterate my, you know, non-alcoholic spirits. It's, it's growing huge. When you're growing from nothing, everything looks huge. So these are sales numbers from dry January. And it kind of covers 2019, 2020, 21, and this year of 2022. I'll focus on last year and this year just to kind of show the disparity of beer to wine to liquor and also show how, you know, certain numbers can be inflated. So in 2021, in dry January, in dollar amount, total beer sold was two and a half billion dollars of beer was sold during dry January in 2021. For non-alcoholic beer, the sales were $15 million. Total wine sales in dry January of 2021, $1 billion on a global level. And the total amount of sales of non-alcoholic wines during dry January in 2021 is a little over $3 million in sales. Spirits were over $1.4 billion of sales 
of spirits in dry January in 2021, the total number of non-alcoholic spirits, $330,000. Going into 2022, the total amount of beer sold during dry January, $2.2 billion. That's actually, you know, down 8.4% from 2021. Non-alcoholic beer in 2022 during dry January was $17 million. So that's actually up 14.8%. Wine sales during 2022 dry January, $1.4 billion, which is down 6.5%. And non-alcoholic wines, four point two five million. So we're up twenty four point four percent in wine sales. We went from three million to four million dollars. Total spirits in dry January two thousand twenty two, one point three billion. So we're down three point three. From 2021. And by the way, a lot of these numbers are skewed because of COVID and people not going out to restaurants, buying more, you know, beer, wine, and spirits to drink at home. And now in 2022, the world is kind of opening up again. So people are buying a little bit less to drink at home. And that's why some of those numbers are down. Now, spirits again, 2021, dry January, 1.4 billion. In 2022, 1.3 billion. Total spirits, non-alcoholic, $560,000 globally. $560,000. As opposed to the $17 million in non-alcoholic beer. Now, the $17 million in non-alcoholic beer is up 14%. The total spirits at $560,000 is up almost 70%. So you see, when people say, like, you know, we're up 70%, that number seems really impressive until you realize it's only $560,000. Non-alcoholic beer is up 14%, but it's $17 million. So that, that spirits thing, again, I don't see it. I feel like more people are trying it, and I feel like more people are going kind of the, the non-alcoholic route because... I mean, really, for a lot of us, we were locked down in COVID for two years. You know, we couldn't go to restaurants. And then for a little while, we could go to restaurants. And then we could go to restaurants until 8 o'clock at night. And, you know, then we couldn't go to restaurants. And then now we're back. And it, it's just kind of been a, a weird kind of quirky thing. But more people were drinking at home. And since we didn't have anywhere else to go, you know, you couldn't go to museums, you couldn't go to concerts, people were just drinking at home. So there's almost like a collective communal, like hangover of like, holy shit, we've all been drinking so much. And I feel like, especially with COVID, you know, how many people stocked up on toilet paper, paper towels, hand sanitizer, it's like every time there's a snowstorm and you go to the store and you buy batteries and toilet paper and bread and milk and water, you know, and then when the winter's over, you have enough batteries to get you through the next three winters, but yet you keep buying more batteries every time they say it's going to snow. In the liquor industry, we were watching people just stock up on booze. And then, you know, 
a couple weeks later, they said, you know, liquor stores are going to be shut down. So people would come in and stock up on booze and they were stocking up because they thought we were shutting down. They were stocking up because, you know, there was no restaurants to go to. There was no concerts to go to. You couldn't go have cookouts with people. We were scared. And now people have just drank so much and there's so much booze in their house that, yeah, they're buying more non-alcoholic beer, wine and liquor. Because they're just kind of collectively over it for a little bit. I just don't see that category growing. But it does show that, you know, non-alcoholic beer is still growing and, and people are still on that that kind of that non-alcoholic kick, but beer is really the only thing that works. All right. Beer number two. This is Athletic, and these guys came out. They launched maybe like five, six years ago. Uh, They launched in Stanford, Connecticut. I got a couple of notes on these guys because they're really, really interesting. They're one of the first breweries that I ever heard of that really just opened up and were catering to non-alcoholic beer. Uh, They were voted Time Magazine's one of their top 100 most influential companies. I believe they've got like four breweries all around the world at this point. Uh, They make six core non-alcoholic beers. uh, And what I am drinking is the All Out Dark. Now, I appreciate this because, you know, everybody's pointing out, you know, an IPA, a pale ale, a light, a golden lager. Like, this was, this is a dark beer. And it was one of the first ones that I get to taste as a dark beer. 90 calories, 21 grams of carb, 0.5% alcohol, and, oh, by the way, it's vegan. Uh, That 21 grams of carbs, a little heavy for me, but, again, if your body can process it, go for it. That's really good. It kind of tastes like a little like a smoked porter. It's got the mouthfeel of beer. It's dark. Definitely roasted dark malt in there. Uh, A little smoky. Yeah. If you like porters, and bless you if you do, uh, which means you haven't been totally sucked into the New England hazy, juicy uh, IPA thing. Yeah, this is a, a fantastic, fantastic beer. Uh, I've had their golden ale. It's also really, really good. Um, all right. I'm going to get one more in here. And that sound you hear is me pouring the whole beer out because I'm capping it off with the Guinness Zero Alcohol. This is probably the one I was most excited to taste. Because I was curious as to see what they were going to do with it. Uh, Guinness is kind of a polarizing beer in that a lot of people, you know, myself included when I was younger, you just, you see it. It's black as night. You think like, oh, it's going to be heavy. It's going to be thick. People think it's going to be high in calories. And I remember when Mick Ultra launched and their whole thing was like they were 2.3 grams of carbs. And I think Guinness was like 3.2. Like it wasn't that much higher. Guinness in all reality is 
lower in carb than most beers. It's lower in alcohol than most people think. You know, I think it's 4.7 for regular Guinness, which is right around where like a Budweiser is. It's lower in calories. So I'm expecting kind of, you know, the same or maybe not expecting, but I, I like the fact that we could be on the same trajectory here. So Guinness, Guinness Zero, you know, they make it, they go through their own proprietary process to remove the alcohol. Uh, this is 3.8 grams of carbs. So you're actually, you know, right in line with where seltzers are at this point. Uh, 17 calories per can, and they're de-alking all the way down to 0% alcohol in this. They are adding a little bit of sugar to replace some of the flavor. Um, by the way, the packaging on the Syria doesn't need to be unique, you know, because it doesn't need to distinguish itself from, you know, there's no core Syria alcohol brand, uh, alcoholic beer brand. Uh, same with the athletic. Everything they do is kind of unique. The Guinness, this can kind of looks like a regular Guinness draft can, except it's got a blue ring around the top. What's great, and the reason you guys heard me kind of crack that and pour it, is much like the Guinness draft can, it's got the widget in it, and those Guinness cans don't work to just drink them out of the can. You need to pour them straight up, well, basically straight up and down, upside down, into a glass, let that head form in order for that widget to do what it's supposed to do. So it's kind of not, you know, there's no CO2 in the can when you crack the can, the widget releases the air you know, to carbonate the beer. I will say on the nose, it smells like Guinness. In the glass, it looks like Guinness. All right. It's a little bit... I don't even want to say it's lighter because, again, I... I'm just as guilty of looking at a Guinness and going like, oh, that's super heavy. And then every time I drink Guinness, I go like, wow, that's just light and airy and creamy and dark and roasty, malty, coffee, bitterness. This is, it's almost a dead ringer for Guinness. It's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit, I don't want to say watery, uh, but yeah, if you took a, a Guinness and maybe dropped a couple of drops of water in it to thin it out, it's got that flavor. But man, it's pretty, pretty close, you know, to what a a full-bodied Guinness would taste like. I have no complaints about this. And yeah, complete honesty, I think I'm going to start to drink more non-alcoholic beers. They taste good. Um, so if you're drinking for flavor, these are spot on. Everything I've tasted here, you know, in, in both halves of this podcast, they're they're spot on. You know, certain ones, the carbs are a little bit higher for me to play around with. But certainly the brew dog is going to be, you know, part of my repertoire the Guinness is going to be part of my drinking repertoire here at home. And it's going to switch me maybe off of seltzers. You know, the, the carb count is the same. 
The drinking experience is the same. The mouthfeel is the same. I'm not sure I'll even miss the alcohol because I'm going to get more flavor. <sighs> yeah, this is great. And I just tasted a little bit with you guys, but, you know, when I wrap this, I'm going to certainly finish all of these cans. What's great is when I wake up tomorrow, I'm not going to feel terrible. Um, I'm not going to have a hangover. Yeah, and I'll be ready to go to work. And then as we get, you know, into the weekend, yeah, I can get after it, you know, and not be tired from drinking all week and, and waking up feeling like crap. Yeah, that Guinness is spot on. I love it. All right, so we're going to wrap it from there. And, you know, if anybody's wondering, like, well, hey, you didn't give us any recommendations on anything else. What I wanted to do was focus on non-alcoholic beers here. Um, you know, I shared some views on non-alcoholic spirits and non-alcoholic wines. But really, I wanted to focus on beers. Uh, we'll do another full-length episode kind of talking about non-alcoholic spirits. And, you know, obviously I don't recommend the non-alcoholic uh, spirits. They're just, they're too pricey for what they are. But we can talk about definitely some mocktails on another episode of the Spirits Guide. Uh, and give you guys some ideas to save you some money without having to go out and buy these kind of snake oil products. Whew. All right, we made it through. Uh Thank you guys so much for being here and listening. I hope this helps you. And again, you know, there's no shame in saying like, hey, I've got to dial it back. I've got to take a break. I just, you know, I've been drinking a lot. I got I to gotta kind of ease out of it for a little bit. There's no shame in that. And, you know, these are great products that, you know, you can go tailgate and hang out in the yard, hold a beer, be part of the crew. And, and enjoy the drinking experience. I, I reiterate, like, if you're doing it because you feel like you have to do it to fit in, you need some different friends. But if you're doing it because you just like it and, you know, it kind of fits in with the vibe you get going on, that's awesome, too. Uh, whatever your reason, these are some great beers. Go out, you know, and again, because just because I say they're good doesn't mean they're great. Uh, try them and, and go out and discover for yourself. All right, guys. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for, for indulging me yet again. Uh, I appreciate you guys all being here, listening, being a part of this journey. And we'll, uh, we'll chat again soon. Cheers. Yay!